On today's podcast, we are talking about the world of influence and influencers. Do you follow influencers? Probably. Oh, I bet you do. <laughs> <laughs> so why do they exist? How much money do they make? How do they impact you? Where are they? Why are they there? <laughs> Hope you enjoy today's episode. It'll be a fun one. Stay tuned. I bought a pair of shoes that I didn't need. The same ones I saw on my Instagram feed. My feet hurt real bad and my bank account's dry. I made a bad decision and I don't know why. Some people may say I blew it, but marketing made me do it. Okay. Welcome to Marketing Made Me Do It. We are a new podcast that aims to teach consumers about how marketing impacts all of our lives and our everyday decision making. And we really want to just empower us, ourselves, as well as you to make the best decision with your money and your time thinking about things. I'm Sydney, one of your hosts. And I'm Sylvia, the other one. <laughs> We're happy to have you today listening to our podcast. And we typically like to start by talking about life. What's new? What's marketing made you do in the last couple of weeks, Sydney? Yeah, so marketing made me ask the men that I'm closest with this important question that's been trending on TikTok, Instagram, a lot of social channels. And that question is, how often do you think about the Roman Empire? So Sylvia, I'll start by asking you, how often do you think about the Roman Empire? Well, up until you asked me like once last week, <laughs> I really haven't thought about the Roman Empire all that much. <laughs> Same here. I was actually, this was a surprising trend where I got to learn something new. I can't say I've thought about the Roman Empire since like junior high school. It's just not <laughs> on my mind. Mm -hmm. um, but I did ask a few people. So um, I asked my dad. He says he thinks about the Roman Empire about once a week. Uh, my brother-in-law, Nick, thinks about the Roman Empire every two weeks. Um, and my husband doesn't think about the Roman Empire ever. Um, but I saw something on social media that said that, you know, men either think about the Roman Empire or they think about pirates. So I asked him <laughs> how often he thinks about pirates. And he said every single day. So I think he's just in the pirate category. Every single day? <laughs> Yeah, why? every day he thinks so. He's playing a video game that's about pirates. Oh, so that's why. Okay. Um, and then you asked your fiance, Justin, mm -hmm. how often does he think about the Roman Empire? He said, what, a couple times a month? Uh, a few times a month? Yeah, he said one to three times a month. Yeah. Which three times a month is it's almost like once, it's almost once a week. Once a week. <laughs> Same with my brother-in-law. Um, but I thought this was interesting because of how infrequently I think about the the Roman Empire there was some backlash against this trend and basically to go back a little bit the trend was people asking their male partners how often they think about the Roman Empire and the answers would be once a week once a day every other week once a month but just far more than a lot of us women do think about the Roman Empire there there was some backlash there's some backlash with this trend that it is genderizing men and women and I would agree with that you can't say like, this is a formal study of we've asked all men and they all think about the Roman empire. And mm -hmm. so therefore men think about the Roman empire. Um, I don't think that's a healthy approach, but mm -hmm. it was interesting. 
Yeah, I. Uh, that's so funny because I saw a post like last week sometime. Do you know that Lizzie McGuire or not Lizzie McGuire? Wasn't Lizzie McGuire? Well, Hillary Duff movie mm-hmm. of her like being on a little scooter driving through like in front of the um, Chief Atom von Pisa, like the Lane. The Leaning Tower of Pisa. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> I wasn't sure. My answer wasn't very confident. Nope, you got okay. it. Um, and like that was like the reasoning as to why men were thinking about Rome, that Roman Empire, is because of Hilary Duff. No. In that movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, that would explain why my, my husband Austin does not think about the Roman Empire. He's probably never seen that movie. <laughs> I, I heard that, and I think this is true, or at least it's true for me, that the women's version of the Roman empire is murder. And I would say I do. I think about being murdered, murdering <laughs> <laughs> other murders. Yeah. Um, probably every day. Yeah. yeah. Not murdering seriously, but also just how would I do it if I were to just being fascinated by that? Yeah, me too. I'm fascinated by like, mm-hmm. I listen to a lot of murder podcasts and always fascinated by murder documentaries on Netflix. Yeah. So I don't condone the, the genderization of murder or the Roman Empire. <laughs> However, it's just fun. It was just a fun trend, I think, this week. And it was nice to learn something new about my dad, my brother-in-law, my husband. It was just fun. <laughs> yeah, I had no idea that Justin likes to uh, think about that <laughs> one to three times a month. <laughs> awesome. What about you? What has marketing made you do? Yeah, it made me scratch my head uh, this okay. past couple of weeks. Um, so... I don't know if you've seen it, but Washington Post, I follow the Washington Post on Instagram. Um, and one of the things that caught my eye just scrolling through my feed was a post, which led to obviously linked to an article that they had written about the food industry paying influencer diet, dietitian, dietitians is that how you say yeah. to shape your eating habits, which is a perfect segue into today's topic, really. <laughs> but um, one of the things that shocked me, and I, you know, I kind of knew this already, you know, when you think about things and you think about influencers and you observe your own habits of like following mm-hmm. other influential people, you know that, you know, they use their platform to convey messages and to convey information or relay information. And this was a little bit of a shocker, though, because there were a couple influencers that I don't follow and I've never heard of, like Steph Grasso, for instance, or Mary L.M. Phipps, or Cara Harpstreet. Don't know any of them. But based on this article from the Washington Post, they're amongst the few that have been um, part of a campaign from American Beverage that have been using their platform with a really solid reach, like Steph Grasso has 2.2 million followers on TikTok to promote sweeteners. Specifically, huh? scratching my own head. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I know. Right. Um, But essentially the messaging that they put out there, and this is again from the American beverage who essentially wanted to lessen the stigma against sweeteners. I see. And that it's, not really not healthy for you, you know, like the WHO warnings about artificial sweeteners are legit. They, they do say that it, they can lead to type two diabetes, um, cardiovascular disease, you know, can lead to increased mortality risks for adults. And there's really no huge 
results in using sweeteners for reducing your body fat. And that's kind of one of the big things of like, eat less sugar, use sweetener instead. So you reduce body fat so you can, you know, lose weight or whatever it is. That's kind of one of the messages out there. Um, And so influencers have agreed to support them Mm -hmm. by telling their huge following that WHO's warning about artificial sweeteners were quote unquote clickbait or low quality science. And, you know, there's a lot of kids out there that follow these influencers that just blindly believe without doing a whole lot of research. Not just kids. Well, yeah. yeah. Grown grown human beings who want to take more ownership of their health. That is crazy. Yeah. That the, what company was it? It was the American Beverage Association is going against the World Health Organization with marketing these sweeteners. That's, that shouldn't, that reminds me of our last episode. Right where the soda pop foundation yeah. <laughs> was telling telling everybody that Coca Cola was healthy for kids. Yes. Yeah. I don't know. It's just it's just mind boggling to me that here Cara Harp Street from Kansas City, she reassured her Instagram followers not to worry about the fear mongering headlines. It doesn't pass like in marketing. What I like to do often, I would say probably at least once a week, as I ask myself, is this passing the gut check? Mm-hmm. Right. And that is when you think about things, does it feel good to do that? And for me, this isn't passing the gut check. Absolutely not. From an ethical standpoint. Absolutely not. And American Beverage did say that the diet dietitians who participated in the campaign adequately disclosed that they were, you know, working with the trade association by flagging posts as paid partnerships and using the hashtag safety of aspartame, as, as, aspartame, aspartame, I think, the sweetener. And based on this Washington Post article, out of 35 videos, 11 specifically named the association with Mary Bev, which is American So a beverage. third of them yeah. did their due diligence there. And but so, even so, if you're making health claims... Even putting it in partnerships, a lot of people don't know what that means. Exactly. So, like, even just that hashtag of safety of aspartame, like, I wouldn't know that that means an affiliation with, you mm-hmm. know, the company. And so, I don't know. It's it's made me scratch my head. I'm really not a fan. Yeah, and that is a, this. a fantastic segue into our episode topic. Do you want to introduce what we're talking about? Yeah, absolutely. Our episode today is about influencer marketing. Specifically, why do brands use influencer marketing to push their products? What What's beneficial to them? And how does it impact us as the consumer? You know, being exposed mm-hmm. to these influencers all day, every day, if you choose to. From your perspective, knowing that we both are in marketing, um, what are the benefits to partnering with influencers? Some of the benefits of partnering with influencers is you you expand your reach as a brand. And so if you have, you know, relatively small reach, you can tap into an influencer's market, their audience, and get your word out through that influencer. Some influencers have millions upon millions of followers. So getting into that market, getting to know their audience, if they're a part of your target demographic, can be really beneficial to help a brand go grow quickly. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, too, I feel like um, it's a vibe. Having certain people represent your product gives your brand identity a certain uh, personality Mm -hmm. as well. So 
Yeah, and you know these influencers who have quite a few followers, or even if they don't, even if they're known as micro influencers, which still have a, a decent amount of followers, but they're more affordable from a marketing standpoint. These influencers typically have a lot of trust. Their audience trusts them. They believe them, mm-hmm. which is why, to your point earlier, there's an ethical dilemma there because they're also making making money. So they're saying things to their trusted followers that are sponsored, that are promoted posts they're getting paid for mm-hmm. to their audience of people who just really love and believe in them. Totally. So how much does an influencer make? That's a really great question. We did a little bit of research, so we have some numbers, but it varies so much because we have so many categories from nano influencers that have a little, little following to micro influencers or world stars like Cristiano Ronaldo, who is the most followed on Instagram. Um, he's making 3.23. What did I say earlier? 3.23 million per Instagram yeah. post. <laughs> That's life goals. Goals. Right uh, sign me up to be an influencer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, um, on average, what do, what do influencers make? On average, influencers make $2,970 per month. Do you know, is that pre-tax or post-tax? It's probably pre-tax. I would probably say, yeah. Yeah, that's that's still, you know, a really decent living, I would say. Yeah, especially if they have something else going, because a lot of influencers mm-hmm. do their influencing as a side gig until they grow so much that they don't need to work their full-time job anymore. Yeah. And so with that, there's a bit of an asterisk. So like I said, the average influencer makes $2,970 per month. But as we know, we follow some influencers. There's quite a bit of cost that goes into, especially the lifestyle or travel influencer categories. And so that number that they're making, it's not taking into account any of the costs that go into that salary. And so that's just one thing I want to point out. If you're following an influencer who shows like this ideal lifestyle and they might be making money, uh, there's a danger to overspending with influencers and racking up credit card debt to show this aspirational lifestyle. Mm -hmm. In in the beginning stages, yes, you have a lot of money that you're putting out, but then the more established you become, the more people will actually send you things and the less you have to spend. And um, you might even be more overwhelmed because you have all these products that you need to test out and you don't really know where to start. Yeah. It's a full-time job being an influencer, maybe a full-time plus job, like a life job. And so I imagine it's really exhausting. Oh yeah. Mentally exhausting. Mm -hmm. I used to have guys like 2000 followers on my businesses page and I would walk around the world being like, can I story this? Can I story this? Can I story this? And I didn't like that. I didn't like that life. Yeah. It's it's (laughs) really stressful because you have to constantly also be there. I mean, even now, like I follow a couple family influencers, you know, mom, mom influencers or however you call them. (laughs) And if they don't post for a day or two, they are flooded with questions of like, are you still alive? Are you okay? Like, why aren't you posting? And it's like, I deserve a day off guys. You know, the real world exists and I'm trying to live in it for a day. For sure. Yeah. Um, so I want to talk about now the different ways that influencers make money because there are quite a few different ways that influencers make money. And I think a lot of them try to diversify their portfolio to get a lot of different streams of income, whether it's passive or active. Mm -hmm. Affiliate marketing is one of them. Do Mm -hmm. you want to explain what affiliate marketing is? Yeah. So if you are following any influencers, you'll probably see this pop up. Affiliate marketing 
shows up as basically a link to a website or a specific code that the influencer has, you know, put in the code influencer name for 20% off or click on my link in bio for my Amazon page. And basically the influencer themselves, they get a cut of every purchase that their followers make. So this is a, a passive income stream for a lot of influencers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's not just like a sponsored post. That is like a one-time thing. Yeah, it's not a sponsored post. So for example, I feel like these can be a lot more subtle than sponsored posts too. There's there's one person I follow and she would always do these videos and she'd have this beautiful rug and she had kids. And so it's like, well, how do you have a beautiful white rug when you have a bunch of kids running around? And in her link in bio, there was a link to that rug. And so she would show it in videos and not actively say like, I'm inviting you to purchase this, but you would see it. People would comment, love your rug. She would say, check out my link in bio. And then there would be an affiliate link there. Mm-hmm. So that that takes me to the next one of sponsored posts. So for sponsored posts, it's literally just a brand paying you to post about their product, their service, their event, whatever it is. And it is a law to require the sponsored post or ad. Like you need to disclose that through the FTC guidelines. But like your example earlier, we know that a lot of people don't disclose that information still. Yeah. And that's frowned upon because mm-hmm. it's just not trustworthy, right? It's not true. It's not, you're not being truthful to your target audience if you're not disclosing that. Yeah. So there's a few more ways that influencers will make income from brands specifically. And so the next one is, you know, they partner with a brand for a, a co-branded product or service or merch. I feel like this shows up a lot in the beauty industry. Can you think of a collab that was like this? Uh, I mean, there's a bunch of collabs. Yeah. Like Casey Holmes and Smashbox, Jaclyn Hill and Becca back in the day. Um, a lot of the beauty influencers now have their own brands. So that's kind of where it gets a little mm-hmm. m- meshed. <laughs> um, but I'm thinking of like a German influencer couple. They're like a lifestyle travel, very sustainable focused. And they just collabed with a brand that put out soaps. And so they put out their own soaps. Nice. And um, yeah, there's a lot out there. Yeah. And so that's a way to kind of share the income, but again, capitalize on the influencer's audience as a brand. Mm -hmm. The next one is brand sponsorships. I feel like this shows up the most in sports, to be honest. Athletes are sponsored by Nike or Adidas or whatever, and they wear the shoes and they wear the jerseys. Oh, that makes me think of our, I mean, our local pro running sports team, NAZ Elite and Flagstaff, sponsored by Hoka. There you go. So could I tell you an athlete's name who has one of these sponsorships? Probably not, but, but I do know I can recognize, oh, they're, they only ever, you know, play basketball in Nikes, you know, that kind of thing. The, <laughs> the last one I have is, and this is very similar to brand sponsorships, but it's brand ambassadors. The brand that comes to mind that does this really well for me is Dior. Mm, Johnny Depp. <laughs> Johnny Depp. They've got, they've got a brand ambassador for every target mm-hmm. demographic they've got johnny depp they've got the dude from twilight what's his name edward mm, that's the twilight he, name <laughs> he was edward in twilight got twilight guy i don't know i'm not a fan of his same um jimin from bts they've got Anne taylor joy really beautiful white set eyes um as a dior ambassador and so these people if they're at an event, they're wearing Dior, they're on commercials, they're on social media, they're just kind of shown everywhere and they just have 
this ongoing, it's again, similar to a sponsorship, but it is more of an ambassador where they promote and live the Dior lifestyle. Mm. Yeah. And if you don't, if you fall out of that perception, you can easily fall out of that ambassador opportunity. If you yeah. like drastically do something that's unlike you or unlike the brand, like fall out. <laughs> Kanye West. <laughs> <laughs> Good example. Mm-hmm. Although I, I do think um, Adidas is kind of backpedaling a little bit. Anyway, lost a lot of, um, so again, that's, it's kind of, gray area is it a sponsorship or isn't he an ambassador for mm-hmm. them and i would say it depends on how active they are in promotion because i do feel like a sponsorship is more of like behind the scenes i'm gonna wear these i'm gonna you know be sponsored by they're gonna like with sports pay for my races etc cetera, etc cetera. but with the ambassadors i'm gonna be the face of that's how i like to differentiate them so those examples were examples of the way that brands use influencers. I'm sure there, there are more examples out there. Those are the ones that came to my mind. Mm-hmm. But there are also ways influencers make money on their own. A lot of influencers are very entrepreneurial. And so, Sylvia, do you want to take us through the ways that influencers make money on their own? Yeah. And it's very diverse. I feel like depending on the type of influencer it is, um, some of them, they, you know, start their own subscription opportunity through Patreon, whether it is, you know, exclusives that they only make available to Patreon subscriptions. There's this one podcast that I listen to, which is called Night Owls. And it's about, you know, ghosts and stuff like that. It's pretty fun. And they fund themselves through Patreon subscriptions and they, besides selling merch and stuff like that, which is fun too, but they give like exclusive, you know, footage and recordings and stuff like that, um, make it only available through Patreon. But anywho, other ways to make money is, so enabling ad revenue through showing advertising through uh, on your, either on your channel before your video, during your video, after your video, or on social media, um, being able to, opt into monetization and, mm-hmm. and allowing ads being shown essentially on your feed and yeah. videos. Once you have a certain amount of followers, I don't know the number off the top of my head, but once you have a certain amount of followers mixed with a certain level of engagement, because you can just buy followers, doesn't mean that you're an influencer. You need that level of engagement and the active audience. Once you tap into that from Meta's rule, however much that is, you can monetize your social media profiles. Yeah. Then also getting paid for a number of views and the more views you have, the more opportunity for sponsored ad posts you get as well. I think the consistency plays into that for a lot of influencers is just constantly posting and feeding into that algorithm with the diversity of posts and getting to that engagement that will lead to sponsored opportunities. And I do know social media channels, I don't, again, don't know all if all of them will or what that, that threshold is, but I know that social media channels will send you a check in the mail if you get over a certain amount of followers, or sorry, if you get over a certain amount of uh, video views or engagement. Like if your post go, goes viral, you can be getting a check in the mail from Meta or from YouTube. Oh, that's exciting. Maybe we should start a YouTube channel. <laughs> Guys, help us go viral, please. <laughs> Yes, please. We could use the money. That would be nice. 
And then lastly, we already kind of talked about the merch, uh, whether it's the, the taglines that they use constantly in their videos and it's kind of becoming their brand and then they yeah. put that on t-shirts and sell that. But oftentimes influencers use their platform, you know, as they evolve kind of to Sydney's point earlier, you know, they're very entrepreneurial. They do find themselves and find niches for themselves and start launching. I mean, they are their own brand and that brand is sellable, but they oftentimes just expand that brand with unique products that they come up with that they know their audience really buys into and they develop. And so, you know, examples here are, well, Kylie cosmetics, although that's gotta be the biggest one. Yeah. Yeah. Really? I don't know. I I feel like there's a lot of questionable numbers that were put up around that brand. Yeah. Um, but Fenty beauty, I think is a really great example or rare beauty with Selena Gomez. Gomez. <laughs> yeah, I love her brand. I love Rare Beauty. And I'm wearing Fenty. Oh, really? Uh, Fenty Foundation, yeah. I'm I know. I'm um, giving it a go. My friend loves Fenty Foundations as well. well um, I'll tell you later how I feel about it. <laughs> I'm giving it a shot for the first time. I oh. love the color diversity. Yes. Yeah. Well, and that might be because, you know, it's created by a woman of color. So mm-hmm. diving into kind of that impact of influencers to the consumer. Do you follow, I mean, do you follow a lot of influencers? I follow, so I'm not a big influencer fangirl. I can't say that I, what is the, what is it, the Gen Z's? I can't say I stand any influencers. I'm so trendy. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, sure, sounds great. However, I do follow some influencers. Mostly it's the ones that just, They'll be the recommended. I'm mostly on Instagram. Um, they'll be the recommended for you. And it's just ones that make me laugh. So they'll put out like one video that's really funny. And I'll follow them until they lose their magic. And mm-hmm. then, so yeah, the ones I'm following right now are Delaney Rowe. She's an actress in, I think she's in LA. And she does um, like little skits of, mm-hmm. you know, the girl that thinks you have a crush on her and then she'll she'll kind of act out that scene. <laughs> and she's really funny. The next one is Dan Henschel, which his Instagram profile is insane. He has these really elaborate stories happening through his Instagram. So there's like murder, there's arrests, there's now he's a priest. He used to be a I don't know. So it keeps you on edge. <laughs> okay. But everything is um, satirical. Mm-hmm. So it's um, like if, if you know, you know. Otherwise, you're just going to be completely lost with whatever storyline, sometimes multiple storylines he's going through. Champagne Cruise um, is very relatable. I think he works at a marketing agency or maybe he used to and he does like different generations on Monday morning. And those just always make me laugh. Oh yes. I love that. I love those too. <laughs> and then the last one is heartthrob Anderson who does, he, he hooked me for his take on seventh heaven episodes. <laughs> and he just does like a comedic rundown of these seventh heaven episodes. And those, they are insane. I didn't realize I used to watch that show, but it's, it's really weird. The yeah. storylines, but obviously you know, they're not promoting things very often, but when they do, I think this might just be me as a marketer. I just, I see sponsored posts or I can kind of tell it's sponsored Mm -hmm. or promoted posts and I just scroll past it. It kind of leaves like a bad taste in my mouth, to be honest. I don't Mm -hmm. want to purchase. I just want a funny video. That's all. Yeah. You're on those platforms to be entertained. Yeah. Which makes sense. Um, 
I I can't say like I couldn't even give you like names. I, I guess I could. They don't really mean much because a lot of them are German. <laughs> People I follow most, it's not necessarily because I like to purchase from them or like I like the products that they present and typically purchase. I just really aspire to their lifestyle. I am inspired by other people a lot and by mm -hmm. their th thought process. And so, um, like my people that I follow range from, you know, mothers who have kids and are full-time, you know, a full-time job and have a horse and dogs and can all make it work. You know, obviously it's only 10 minutes of their lives. You know, keep that in mind. What they show you on Instagram is very mm -hmm. curated <laughs> or even on YouTube. But, um, that's kind of what I, what the people who I follow or like a, you know, a fashion, I'm not a fashion brand person, I should say. Um, but I do, there's this one woman, uh, Karol Kawa in Germany who, you know, she built her fashion empire and is just so personable the way she comes across, you know, also talks about the hardships. And, um, I feel like her, the way she built her team is very similar to our work environment, nice. um, in, in our company. It's just very family oriented. And, um, to me, it's very important that I align value wise with the people that I follow. Um, not to say I started watching following influencers that are in the beauty space, which was pretty toxic. Actually, if you think about it, yeah. um, 2015 is kind of when I dabbled into that and I dabbled into YouTube first mm. before I dabbled into Instagram. Yeah. There was one influencer 2020. Everyone was into skincare. I was into skincare too. I think he's one of the top skincare influencers. His name is Hiram. And I think 2020, he created a new brand, Selfless by Hiram, so his own skincare brand. I learned a lot from him about skincare. His stance was like boring skincare, so no fragrance, no spot experience. So it's like take it with a grain of salt because that's also why I love skincare. It's like I want to feel like I'm going to a spa at my house. Mm -hmm. Yeah, his products are boring. And then his channel basically turned into just promoting his own brand. So that's immediately when I stopped following him. Yep. I didn't want to buy his products. I had my own that I loved and I couldn't get the same value from his channel. Yep. I, yeah. And that's, that's one of the things that turns me off too is like at that point, it's just not authentic anymore. And exactly. it's just not, not the person that I'm following, but more the products that I'm following that they're presenting to me. And so, yeah, mine are very lifestyle oriented, I think. And it's what I do like though, is like, there's this one influencers I, I follow she has like a little stable right by her house um and kind of shows her everyday life with I think four or five horses and she's had quite a hard year where like a lot of mishaps happened and she like literally said yeah this is just another thing and you know I am just anticipating the like the vet's uh bill and so you mm -hmm. know you guys uh here's just another ad so I can make it work you know like kind of spinning nice. it into reality like we all know that having animals can be very expensive. And so it's just very authentic the way she does it. Does it doesn't mean that I'm going to buy it, but just it, yeah, makes me trust her more. So influencers, they got their name for a reason. Influencers are really influential. I mean, they influence even people in marketing who know better. So mm -hmm. if you're not in marketing, if you don't really know how this works, that's that's why we're doing this episode. Um, so yeah, really developing that authenticity that goes with a brand, an influencer brand that really, really is the core of building trust with your consumers is what sells at the mm -hmm. end of the day. And 
consumers who trust a brand are 53% more likely to buy into their products. This is specifically true for the younger generations, millennials, Gen Zs. <laughs> this is according to Edelman, uh, Edelman. But anywho, at the end of the day, ethics is really important when it comes to using your platform for pushing out messages. And I think with the, the amount of money that's on the line for influencers, you know, they can start out with this really ethical approach, but it can be easy to forget why you're doing this. Yeah. And I think it's very important to stay true to yourself, even though it can be enticing to follow the money. Um, but there are quite a few examples out there where ethics is questionable. For didn't pass the gut check. Didn't pass the gut check. Sylvia, what is your example of a non-ethical influencer? I feel like, um, or influencer campaign or influencer, um, you know, ethically questionable has been the Kardashian family. Mm -hmm. Um, Just by how much product they push every day, how they use their social handles, how the mom manager makes their, her kids, you know, post occasionally. Um, but who I want to talk about specifically is Kendall Jenner. She has been in the news a few times about questionable campaigns that she's participated in. And it's not just her. I mean, it's also the brand. I'm talking about Pepsi and the commercial that they put out on April 4th in 2017, which was the, the commercial of her participating in essentially kind of a movement um, for peace and love, and mm-hmm. it was showcasing, you know, pro- protesters, if you will, as well as police, and the way she was fostering peace, essentially, mm-hmm. was by handing a Pepsi can to the police, and people were outraged. Pepsi got a lot of backlash for it. Um, Kendall, I mean, I don't even know if she's put out a statement or whatever, but it essentially, you know, was getting a lot of backlash because it was trivializing Black Lives Matter and police brutality throughout this this specific campaign. You know that it can easily be just, you know, just throw a Pepsi in it. Exactly, yeah. just throw a Pepsi at people, and everybody's going to be happy and fine. And so, um, if you know the Black Lives Matter movement started in 2013, and so it's been, you know, it's been a, a substantial movement throughout many many years. And especially in the U.S., police brutality is a huge component, not only to Black Lives Matter, but to everyday life. It is a topic of conversation. And so Pepsi, especially on social media, has been scrutinized, if you will. They had a lackluster apology put out on Twitter, which they ended up following it up with another apology because of a critical tweet from Bernice King, the daughter of Dr. Martin Luther King. Junior, and she's a very anti-racism focused activist. And um, at the end of the day, the impact for Pepsi, I, I can't speak to the sales or, or anything like that. They're a very established brand, you know, compared to Coke. They've always been a rival to Coke. Um, Coke is a timeless brand, as you would yeah. call it. And then Pepsi is considered a timely brand, which I think is why they probably put out a commercial like that where they're trying to be relevant. But according to Meister, the day before the Kendall Jenner commercial went live, Pe- Pepsi had a 2% net positive sentiment on Twitter. By April 8th, the company's net sentiment had dropped by 14%, sitting at negative 12%. 
So it did impact their brand perception and their brand image. And again, it's like, who comes up with these ideas? You know, is there a person of color on the board of Pepsi that was like, yeah, let's go for it. Or maybe there wasn't any and it's like nobody's thinking that far of like what it does. It reminds me of, and I, again, we have no insight into this. And so this is all speculation, but in the Vietnam War, there's, there's this really famous photo and it's a girl putting a flower into a gun. So they're at a protest and there's a bunch of police officers with guns pointed at the crowd and this girl walks up and puts a flower in the gun. Mm-hmm. It reminds me that they're trying to kind of replicate that image, but with a Pepsi. Yeah. So it just falls flat because you're, it's a paid promotion. It's a paid promotion. And I mean, it really is not Pepsi's place to, to, I don't know, convey peace through their product. Like it, it, yeah, I don't know. It, it makes me really mad just thinking about it, to be honest, because, yeah. um, but then I'm also thinking like, what was Kendall thinking? Right. Like if she, you know, in a previous episode you had stated she was participating in the fire festival promotion, which she didn't know what she was promoting back then. And supposedly she's very diligent about making sure that what she promotes is like passing the gut check, if you will. I don't, maybe ethically she thinks it's okay. I don't know. Yeah. And this is a good example of a situation where the influencer and the brand, I feel like are both accountable. The brand is accountable for coming up with that ridiculous campaign to begin with. But Kendall is also responsible for being the face of that. My example is one where I feel like the brand is at fault for the influencer campaign falling flat and the influencer actually is not responsible. Mm -hmm. So mine is fairly recent. Also in the beverage world, uh, I want to talk about Budweiser and their partnership with influencer Dylan Mulvaney. So... This is my sources, the New York Times. And in April of this year, uh, Budweiser sponsored a $15,000 giveaway with Dylan Mulvaney. Have you heard about this one? Mm, no. Well, I mean, you told me about it like two days ago but, or yesterday. Cool. <laughs> I told you I was going to be talking about it. So hopefully I do it justice because it's, it's been a huge controversy this year. So in April... Of this year, Budweiser got into a lot of hot water after their partnership with Dylan Mulvaney, a popular influencer on TikTok. On TikTok, Dylan Mulvaney has 10.6 million followers. On Instagram, she has 1.8 million followers. Dylan Mulvaney is a transgender woman. She's detailed her gender transition in her video since early 2022. Um, She has a series called the days of being a girl series. And so she went viral after doing day one of girlhood, day two of girlhood, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Um, She's also an advocate for trans rights in October of 2022. She spoke with president Biden in the white house about transgender rights. And so she's an advocate there. Mm -hmm. And in April, she did a $15,000 giveaway that was in partnership with Budweiser And so that led to a huge, basically a culture war um, where Dylan Mulvaney was kind of in the center of that. So uh, basically a lot of right-leaning conservative folks uh, really didn't like Budweiser's choice to partner with her. Mm -hmm. Um, They have 
you know, videos of Kid Rock shooting a stack of Bud Light cases, people rolling over Bud, Budweiser uh, beers with a rolled over thing, I don't know, some sort of machinery. And, um, That's crazy. and a lot of people were boycotting Budweiser mm-hmm. because of this choice to partner with Dylan Mulvaney. Um, to Anheuser-Busch, Anheuser-Busch is the parent company of Budweiser, two Anheuser-Busch executives who worked in marketing have been put on leave, in quotes, aka I feel like they were probably let go. So it was the vice president of marketing, Alyssa Hannerscheid, and her boss, Daniel Blake. They were both put on leave after this controversy sparked. Um, Alyssa had previously claimed that the brand needed to be more inclusive. So you can see kind of where Budweiser's coming from. It was a kind of their first dipping their toe into more inclusive branding mm-hmm. um, with a partner who is a trans woman who is also an advocate um, within the LGBT community. Mm-hmm. So they were really trying to do something, trying to diversify their audience. The, the issue with that is obviously there was the boycott. So the, the right-leaning people boycotted Budweiser. That led to less sales. But then LGBTQ advocates and and left-leaning people uh, also boycotted Budweiser because as Mulvaney was getting this backlash, they didn't come to her defense and they didn't defend their decision to put her as the face of their brand for this partnership. I wonder if they knew who their audience is. It seems like that's part of the problem is they wanted to be more inclusive, but their audience was loudly not inclusive human beings. Yeah. As a result of this, you know, Mulvaney Budweiser didn't come to her defense. She said she faced stalking and personal attacks. She was pretty shocked by the bullying and the transphobia that that transpired after she partnered with Budweiser. Because again, she's in the middle of this cultural battle between trans rights and this close-minded group of people. Right. Um, Bud Light didn't even reach out to her. So she's quoted as saying, for a company to hire a trans person and then not publicly stand by them is worse, in my opinion, than not hiring a trans person at all. How did this impact Budweiser's sale? Well, it used to be the top-selling beer in the USA. It no longer is the top-selling beer in the USA after April. So that has shifted. Now Modelo Especial, Especial is the top-selling beer in the USA. Oh, really? And since April, they've seen double-digit declines in sales, so into the 20 to 30% range from last year. So this has had this decision to partner with uh, Dylan Mulvaney for this. Again, this is kind of a small campaign. It was a $15,000 giveaway, and it was one post that she did. That decision has, has caused them so much financial loss. Like Based on this backlash, there were other companies that kind of got cold feet regarding their stance on LGBTQ rights. And one of those that I just want to point out, because it was kind of surprising to me, was Target. Target, in response to this backlash, potentially they removed their Pride Month display in some retail stores this year. What? So, again, these big financial losses for Budweiser do have cascading effects on the decisions that brands are making when it comes to partnerships or advocacy. Yeah. Wow. So that's crazy. Shame on you, Target. 
we talked about this in previous episodes too, where it's like the principles of influence and it's not only influencing us, the consumers, but like you just said, it's also influencing other brands and partnership brands that are selling these products in their stores and, and so on and so forth as well. And even our culture. I mean, it's scary to think that, you know, a brand just saying that they align with the person mm-hmm. can cause so much hatred. And so as even just a person without a big backing to publicly state, I align and I support mm-hmm. this group of people, it can be scary. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. To maybe wrap up this episode, um, I would love to talk about the principles of influence. You know, the we've talked about the seven principles of Robert Cialdini. 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 <laughs> Cialdini. Cialdini. Pasta. <laughs> And without going into some of the the ones that we've talked about in previous episodes, um, specifically social proof, authority, and unity, I feel like, apply to today's episodes of the world of influence and influencers. 100%. So yeah, social proof is where we base our choices and behaviors on the social cues and actions of others. And that kind of goes hand in hand with your point of, you know, cultural impact sociological impact yeah and if you see the people like kid rock shooting up budweiser cans and you follow him and you aspire to be like him then that's a social cue that's leading to a certain behavior absolutely and you know back in the day we talked about it a little bit with comedy you know like the american sitcoms in the 90s where you always had the audience laugh yeah which gives the cue of, oh, this is funny. Ha ha ha. I should laugh. Ha ha. So you laugh. And is it really funny? I don't know. Yeah. I bet if you took, that would be fun to take the laugh track like off of friends and to watch it because I bet some of what we're laughing at would just be like awkward silences. Oh yeah, for sure. (laughs) Yeah. So my, my thought was I actually, I was listening to NPR and I have no idea. I just listened to that when I drive. So I don't know what segment it was but they were speaking with a comedian and how this comedian was in like comedian school which I didn't know was a thing but she was in school for comedy and she was talking about how comedians train their audience to laugh and I just thought that was that was mind-blowing to me because I have definitely sat at comedy shows or watched comedy shows and thought to myself, this isn't funny, but everyone around me is laughing. Mm -hmm. Um, And so the one that comes to mind, maybe this is controversial, but it's probably not the most controversial thing we're saying on this podcast is uh, Dane Cook from my coming of age, my teenage years. Everyone loved him, but I just could never, I never thought he was that funny, but everyone would just laugh. I think he was just really good at training people, giving them the social cues of when to laugh. Mm -hmm. That's a good example. The other one um, that we mentioned is authority, and I feel like this is something that we buy in every into every day. It doesn't have to be like a, a star, a celebrity, an influencer. I feel like it's something, whether it is your boss or another industry professional that you engage with, people tend to follow people that have, that seem knowledgeable, credible, and confident. These three things, yeah. which is, you know, portraying a level of authority. And then lastly, unity. It's really hard to distinguish between social proof and unity, but I do feel like um, the more you feel like you're a part of something, also where influencers ask you about your opinions and you know make, make you feel like your decision matters in their decision-making as well, I feel like that's where that huge 
community element comes in for for them where they're like building a you know building a community yeah and a lot of their patreons too will have like you're a part of a club you know i listen to like one of my favorite podcasts forever is my favorite murder and they have the my favorite murder fan fan cult mm-hmm. and and so that's a way to kind of build that unity and and foster that unity with your followers yeah absolutely um so yeah we've already talked a long time so maybe let's wrap it up yeah (laughs) with some key takeaways what are our takeaways from today's episode we have the same takeaway sylvia for every episode but it's important to it's important to be independent from the marketing that is being put upon you and to be aware of how marketing impacts you. That's why we're doing the podcast. And so the, the takeaway from this is to question the products that even your favorite influencers promote to you. Um, because at the end of the day, they are getting a piece of your money pie. And I think also periodically question who you're following because you change your personal brand changes, your values adjust, you know, you grow, and sometimes you just don't align with influencers anymore that you follow, and it's perfectly fine to unfollow. Sydney, what are we talking about in two weeks? The topic that we're talking about in two weeks comes from our giveaway winner, who is actually my mom, because she's a big fan and supporter of the podcast. Um, her social media channel is KM Lang. Yay, thanks for supporting us. Thank you. And she wanted us to talk about brand disasters. So brands that have faced serious PR nightmares and how they recovered or did they recover? Oh, so fun. Yeah. I can't wait. Thanks for the episode idea. It'll be a fun one. Oh yeah, for sure. That's it for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening in, whether on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. We'd love to hear your thoughts. If you could leave us a review, it would help us out greatly. Join the conversation over on Instagram, DM us, or comment under one of our posts. We love to hear from you. And until next week. Or two weeks. Or two weeks. Depending on how we feel. (laughs) Thanks for listening. Peace out. Bye. Bye. Basing our choices and behaviors off of social cues, kind of what you just said, you know, from a cultural perspective, from a social Sociolo- sociological thank you <laughs> i feel like words I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm good at translating today yeah i love it thank you i apparently need it <laughs>